Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we're here every time to warn the nation and then help you to respond in faith. We want to make a difference. And today we're looking at the topic of what the Bible teaches about judgment. And we're going to hit on a number of different uh, facets of judgment today. And to help me do that is a special guest, a friend of mine, a friend of the ministry, a ministry leader himself. And so, Matt Bennett, welcome to Insights. Hey, thanks, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. This is such an important topic and not talked about in our Western churches. So I'm glad to be able to talk about it with you today. Yeah, we're going to go right up the middle on this topic today. And Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, uh, anything pertinent to our discussion today. Yeah, well, thanks. I, uh, I lead Christian Union. Our focus is Christian leadership development in the most secular places and often influential places in the United States. So we have university ministries at uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cornell, uh, Stanford, a number nine of the uh, most uh, academically intense universities. We also minister to adults in New York City and also through website Christian Union Day and Night to uh, Americans of all different stripes. And our focus is Christian leadership development to help people to be strong in the Lord, to seek him with the whole heart, our whole hearts so that he uh, may respond and pour out his spirit and bring revival to the nation. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's just jump in here. And there's five areas of judgment that the scriptures talk about. And we'll just walk through these one at a time uh, today. So the first area, let me summarize these five. The first area is the judgment of the righteous and the wicked, meaning God's going to separate out the righteous from the wicked with those eternal implications. Okay, second type of judgment is the believer's judgment, what some people call the bema seat judgment because the Greek word is bema in 1 Corinthians 3. Some people call it the judgment for uh, the rewards of the believers. So that's the second kind of judgment. The third kind of judgment is judgment within the church corporately, meaning the whole community can go under judgment, and we'll get into those scriptures as well. And then if we have enough time on this one, or we throw this on to another uh, podcast, uh, the fourth judgment is national judgment. The fifth type of judgment in the scriptures is global judgment. So there we are, not a, a minor theme in the Bible. Judgment is huge, and we're hardly ever hearing about it. And we've got to talk about this today because we want to be prepared for all five uh, types of judgment or help other people be prepared. There's this uh, this term, uh, existential threat, like <laughs> meaning you feel the danger you're in personally. When we look at these five types of judgment, there should be an existential threat. We should feel something and we should respond by faith accordingly and then fly through this um, uh, in the Lord's will and ways. So Matt, let's let's begin with that first one. Um, anything come into your mind related to the the uh, the judgment of the righteous uh, being separated out from the wicked? Well, first of all, I want to say you know you're the first person I heard who can use say the phrase existential threat with uh, um, laughter in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I think it's just uh, quite a phrase to say, but, I, but your point is right. It is something that we need to be concerned and focused on. And there, as you've uh, mentioned, there is a day in which there will be the judgment of the wicked and the righteous, the white uh, throne judgment, as mentioned in Revelation. And it is real and it is going to happen for all of us in one way or another. And a passage that comes to mind for myself is something that Christians are protected from on that day in terms of the negative side of judgment. Depends how you use the word judgment. Sometimes the word is used neutrally, judgment and the outcome is good or bad, but it's so often associated with the punishment that it uh, can be associated just with that. But in that judgment, the righteous and the wicked, of course, those who are in Christ don't have to be uh, worried about that. And this is where this famous passage in 1 John gets its uh, origin. It says in verse 17, it says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And that's what it's referring to. Hmm. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what these passage these verses are referring is that if we are in Christ and we endure in him that when the great white throne judgment comes uh, we're going to go to heaven not to hell and so the Christian in living our lives each day we don't have to fear that judgment now there are other things that we should fear but that's um, related to all of this but for the Christians we don't have to fear that now the non-Christians should be very afraid of that and it's actually a characteristic of the wicked that they have no fear of this coming, as mentioned in Romans and elsewhere. And that's come to mind a lot over the last year with all of COVID, because you find a lot of Christians seeking to comfort non-Christians hmm. uh, in, in terms of, well, God has a plan. He'll be with you and stuff. There, should, there is no comfort, because we all know at any moment, any time of a person who's outside of Christ should perish then they will face this judgment and they will go to hell. And it's very, very real, very, very sobering. That idea, um, obviously it was on the Apostle Paul's heart. I think of Acts uh, 24, uh, verse 14, where it says that he was preaching. He's actually on trial before Felix, but the governor at that time, but he's preaching. He said, I'm on trial because I'm preaching the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. And, so uh, necessary that we are communicating this today. It was foundational to Paul's message and that they're literally, you don't go to your grave and turn to dust as a wicked person. And as a righteous person, you have eternity to look forward to, but we have to help people to understand everyone experiences a resurrection. The wicked do as well. And then you stand before the living God, as you've already highlighted the great white throne judgment at the end of Revelation 20. So if we're not getting this, um, we're actually, as I believe you just said in using COVID as an example, we're actually doing a disservice to people. It's actually not the loving thing to do when you don't tell them the cool. whole scenario. Yeah, it's cruel and it's deceptive to give someone a false comfort. I mean, we would naturally condemn a, a doctor who didn't speak straight to his patients uh, who have cancer and are going to die within a week. And uh, we'd expect them to give the straight truth. 
And uh, we as Christians and as ministers of the gospel, of course, we need to do the same. And people need to know that at any moment we could perish. And we hear stories of people dying of aneurysms or get hit by a bus or something. And we'll all die eventually, but we could die at any moment uh, for any reason. And people need to know that if they are not in Christ, if they have not received the forgiveness through repentance and faith, uh, they can be assured that they will be in hell in uh, eternity apart from God. Wow. So um, this is the first area of judgment, the righteous getting separated off from the wicked. The wicked, as it says at the end of Revelation 20, going into the lake of fire, the second death, physical death being the first death, second death uh, being eternal death, separation from God in the lake of fire. Uh, I, I, before we move on to the second form of judgment, I do want to uh, uh, highlight Matthew 25. The last part of that chapter talks about how the sheep would, who are the righteous and the goats who are the wicked are going to be separated out. And it's a very rich passage. I would encourage people to look at that. It's uh, verses 31 through 46, and it shows the exact deeds of somebody who walks with the Lord, walks in faith, because largely they're helping other people. And that's counterculture, cultural in our, our world. And so we're helping other people, even at personal expense. It's a, a evidence that we're truly born again, that we're walking in faith. The last verse in that, and I'd like to put this up on the screen for those that are watching the video. Let me, let me read this. Um, These will go away into eternal punishment, talking about the goats, but the righteous unto eternal life. And so this is the first type of, of judgment where, I like what you said a few minutes ago, Matt, where it's not necessarily a negative term, meaning judgment. It can be neutral, like, hey, the righteous are going into eternal life. This day of judgment is awesome. It's what we're, we're delivered from all of that uh, punishment and so forth, but not so for the wicked. Yeah. So we're going to transition here then to the second form of judgment. In these first two Uh, address individuals, Uh, just as we described in this first type of judgment between the righteous and the wicked. The second one is for Christians, and it's rooted in 1 Corinthians uh, 3. And in that uh, chapter, it talks about how we're going to appear before the Lord, and we're either going to receive rewards such as gold, silver, and costly stones, meaning we lived our lives for the Lord in eternity, or we are going to receive wood, hay, and stubble. All of this is revealed in fire, it says, in terms of what lasts and what doesn't. And as believers, we will, end, as individuals, stand before the Lord, and he will, again, let's use the neutral definition of judgment, he will look at who uh, lived their lives for him and who basically did not. And so this also should be a, a bit alarming, if I can use that word, existential threat, even for believers like we need to think about this. We are literally standing before God Almighty, and he's deciding how we lived our lives and rewarding us as such. Yeah, yeah, it's really extraordinary. This is not taught much, and I find that when I teach on this subject, it can be surprising to Christians to learn that, indeed, they will receive rewards uh, for what's done in the body, uh, good and bad. And you have that passage that you mentioned in 1 Corinthians, I think also of Hebrews eleven six, 6, where it says that God's rewarder for those who seek him without faith, it's impossible um, to be in God's full graces, to be pleasing to him. 
and that he does reward in this life and the next life. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. I think we have a very egalitarian view of heaven that everybody receives the same, but it's not scriptural. And many will be receiving all sorts of rewards. The Bible doesn't go into a lot about what those rewards look like. And people speculate in different ways, maybe positions of authority or other sort of commendations or some, something like that. But it'll certainly be something for which we are very, very glad. Uh, you can expect that in terms of a reward from God. So it's another motivation for us to do things pleasing to God. And uh, sometimes today in Christian circles, uh, people put forward as if the only valid motivation for doing anything is ingratitude for what Christ has done for us. And that is mentioned in the Bible, but it's not mentioned very often. Uh, other motivations are presented far more often in the New Testament. And this is one of them that uh, we will be blessed. We will receive rewards um, from God. Jesus talks about rewards that we'll receive in heaven. And there's glimpses of it when the scriptures talk about crowns of righteousness or crowns of life. But again, what these look like, there's not a strong idea. But uh, we should take courage and take hope. And uh, when we're wanting that extra motivation to do something pleasing to God, when our fleshly nature is holding us back, let's tap into that reality and know that he will be pleased. And it's not more noble for us to say, well, I don't want um, a reward and I won't do it for that motivation. There's no indication of that in the Bible that we are somehow more pleasing to God if we get rid of that motivation in our lives. Uh, it's, uh, it's a motivation God's put there for a reason. So I, let me tip my hand a little bit. I definitely believe that these rewards are not only in this life where Jesus talked about receiving a hundredfold, but also for eternity. And one scripture that really fascinates me on this topic of eternal rewards based on our lives now is Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 11 and after. I'm not going to read that passage, but 10 servants receive 10 minas. A, a mina was equivalent um, to 100 days of wages, roughly, for a common worker. So if we got 10 of those, you're looking at three to four years of wages, which you receive from this king all at once, and now go multiply it. Do something with it. And the uh, implication is clear that every Christian should be multiplying whatever the Lord's given them and making a difference in this world, a difference in other people's lives. And it's very interesting to me that uh, of the 10 servants that received 10 minas, we only find the outcome of three, but the one multiplied it, doubled it, uh, got 10 more minas. And it's fascinating because then the Lord says, you've been faithful with little, I will uh, give you much. And it's every part of this, and this is also reflected in Matthew 25, by the way, which is the parable of the talents. It's a parallel passage. But in the, uh, the minas specifically, he says, I'm going to put you in charge over 10 cities. Now, if we connect that to the churches in Revelation where, where Jesus talks about ruling and reigning with him, wow, based on the decisions we're making right now in this life, there, at least in my opinion, there very likely is, I want to even say, will be a difference in our status, authority, what we do in the kingdom of God, uh, whether that's in the millennium or even after that. 
but the, this stuff is very like um i guess what i want to say is undervalued within the church today it's just uh it's just stunning to me that we're not talking uh, about this and the eternal effects yeah i think it's helpful to think about and remember the reasons for which we were made uh, i think of the angels they were made to exercise god's will in the unseen realm and we were made to exercise god's will in the physical realm now in that context we also have relationship with them as he has relationship with the angels but uh, the angels were created uh for with the job to do and humanity was created with the job to do and you see that in the garden in the beginning to oversee to work to fill the earth and to um, oversee and rule and have dominion over it. And that job description has not gone away. Hmm. And so in the next life, in the new heaven, the new earth, uh, and or the millennium too, we have that uh, job to do on behalf of God. And there'll be no doubt levels of authority and responsibility as there is in the angelic realm. And those who live for him and uh, he can depend on are worthy and can be trusted to be at higher levels of position and authority, responsibility to fulfill his purposes in the new heaven and new earth, which will exist forever and ever. So it'll be a great privilege and a great honor to be at a, a place where he can trust you with more for his purposes. And that's demonstrated by our actions here on earth. So let's just uh, maybe uh, pause a bit here. Let's just talk about this sense uh, faithfulness is key in terms of these rewards, but also you mentioned Hebrews 11.6, which I would put in the realm of being full of faith, meaning we're believing God. So like, how does this look practically? So we're actually building our rewards right now today for eternity before we ever get to this Bema Seat judgment, the re- judgment of rewards, before we ever get there, that we know that we have spent a life that has um, has accumulated great reward. So, Matt, what advice do you have? Well, I was looking at John 15 yesterday, and that's a famous passage about abiding in Christ. And in that passage, he explains what it means for us to abide in Christ. And we abide in Christ as we obey his commandments. And especially highlighted, at least in that section, is the command for Christians to love one another. And of course, there are other commands as well, but at least in that context, that is what's highlighted. And so to the extent that we obey that command and the other commands of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, then we are pleasing him and he rewards us. And that means saying no to our sinful human passions. It means uh, putting to death thoughts of revenge or jealousy or anything negative. It means being generous with our finances. Uh, It means saying no to sexual temptations and repenting um, of our sins. It means forgiving others when we're wronged in different ways, especially those who are fellow Christians. It's all these, there's over a thousand commands in the New Testament, and it means valuing them, researching them, knowing what they are, pouring over them, examining our lives so that we're faithful to God in every way. Of course, it's not going to be perfect. But if we study and look at it and we put to death our sinful nature by the power of the Spirit, then we live more pleasing and honoring lives to our Heavenly Father. Um, Instead of looking for excuses or coming up with reasons why, we double down and say, hey, I want to live a devout and a faithful life. Um, There's a lot of different terms 
people use to describe this. They call it a, a consecrated life or an obedient life or uh, an overcoming life or a sanctified life or there's all these different, uh, or a life of holiness or a life of purity, kind of these overlapping kind of terms that we use, but they all get at this importance of living it. Because of course, in the next life, that's expected of us as well. And if we have no interest in living that way now, uh, how can he trust us in the next life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the Lord told us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which of course has all the implications that you just described, mm -hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, are we actually helping other people in practical ways? Are, uh, you know, lost people, are we sharing uh, our um, our hope in Christ with them? These kinds of things. And, you know, I think every day when we get up, we can look at our, our day ahead and say, Lord, how can I be faithful to you today? Not, not how do I follow the path of least resistance, but how, when I look at my agenda today, what is there here where I can uh, definitely honor you? How will I honor you? Uh, what can I insert here that you, you would like me to do? Um, you know, I just, I honestly, I don't see us doing these things apart from being in the scriptures and really getting fine-tuned, I want to say, every day. Like, that, we need to drink in the Word of God, living out that by faith and making a difference in the real world. I, I think if we do these things that we've both described here, I think that we will be living a faithful life. And again, that's what is in Luke 19 and in Matthew 25. It is that these people were faithful to the Lord. Yeah, I think of you know the scriptures say in the last days, and by this I think it might mean the last of the last days, but uh, assuming the last days began um, in Acts chapter two, as it says when Pentecost came. But that people in the last of the last days, people will be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure and lovers of money and self-indulgent. And that's a temptation. It's a temptation for me. I think it's a temptation for all Christians. We have so much of our desires met so much of the time. And uh, man, the last thing I want to do is wake up each day and have my mind primarily focused on the things that bring me pleasure, that, uh, that satisfy my love of self. That's an awful way to go through life. Uh, I want, by God's grace, to be concerned about the agenda of the Lord Jesus Christ and what pleases him him and what his priorities are for the day. And even if it costs me during the day and when it costs me, uh, Jesus said, there's no greater love that a person can do than lay down their life for a friend. So what sacrifices can I make in my time? Even things cause me frustration or cost me money in different ways. This is the way I need to let my life, lead my life as a follower of Christ. It's the Christ's life that um, Jesus has called us to live. So Matt, one thing that comes to my mind is actually um, a movie called Highwaymen, and it's actually about the true story of uh, Frank Hamer and Manny Galt, and people are like, Hamer who? What, who are these people? Galt, what's this? Anyway, these are the two, um, these are the two law enforcement individuals that hunted down Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker. And this is in 1934, and just to summarize, in light of what we're talking about here and, and really living our lives uh, for what's good and right and what the Lord would have us to, Hamer was basically retired, and 
uh, Bonnie and Clyde were causing so many deaths and uh, bank robberies and so forth uh, in various areas around the country that he he was actually asked to to come and to engage. This is very dangerous. Many law enforcement uh, individuals had already lost their lives to to Bonnie and Clyde. Well, anyway, um, he he leaves a comfortable life, a nice home, a great situation with his wife. He leaves this, and, and they're not hardly paying him anything. He was hoping to get $150 a month. This is in 1934. And they said, sorry, it's $130 a month. So he leaves all of this, and he risks his life literally with his partner, Manny Galt, to go out and chase these guys. It, there was already 1,000 people in this law enforcement dragnet that were not having success, and these two go out, and they're the ones that ultimately uh, uh, bring Bonnie and Clyde to justice. But here's my point. They said no to the fleshly desire. My life is easy now. And what they did is they went into a very dangerous situation to do what? To fight wickedness and to move forward in righteousness. And that's what they did. And it took them over 100 days living out of a car to chase them down and to actually uh, bring them to justice. But it happened. And, you know, when I think about uh, my life or where we're at here in American culture and, and receiving rewards at the Bema Seat Judgment, we have to recognize where this comfortable, easy culture has grabbed us and specifically how we're going to say no to this and f- go out potentially personal cost, like with Frank Hamer and his partner, say no to these things and actually step out in faith and honor God, glorify God, much as David did with Goliath. And we have a hundred other stories, Paul risking his life all the time. But how are we going to step out in faith and actually make a difference and not shrink back into our comfortable lifestyle? So it's about um, really... um, uh, going forward in God's righteous purposes. And when we do that, there will be um, uh, wickedness will be on the retreat. So true. What a great story. I want to watch that movie now. But people like that, uh, I really admire and inspired by. And that needs to, that's the mind of the true Christian is to sacrifice yourself. It's the mindset of our Lord himself, of course, and needs to be the mindset of all of those of us who follow him, that we sacrifice for all well-being. It means uh, turning off um, the TV and other amusements and all these uh, human passions and worldly desires that we have. The problem is it's not wrong to have and enjoy these things from time to time, but they can't interfere and can't take over. And uh, for many of us, it can be a temptation as well. I want to go out to eat with friends and I want to enjoy this social event. I want to do that. And all these things, it's like, you know, all that in its right place. Let's prioritize self-sacrifice for the advancement of God's kingdom. And yeah, we'll have a, a, a nice thing here or there. It's a, a wartime mentality instead of a peacetime mentality. And those in war, yeah, they had time for leave. And yeah, they um, had some special occasions. But the posture of their and the footing of their life was a wartime mentality. And that's the mentality of, of true Christians. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if... Uh... If Hamer and Galt could do it to chase down evil in their day, I think we can do it for our great God and King in our day. So 
Matt Bennett and I, Ann and I, we only made it through the first two of the five different forms of judgment that are explained in the Scripture. Again, not sub-themes. These are major themes uh, within the Scriptures, and we need uh, to respond in faith. And before we go, Matt, can we? where can we find you? Uh, I know that you're preaching in all kinds of subjects in terms of following the Lord wholeheartedly. Well, uh, our main website is christianunion.org, and we also have See You Day and Night. Day and Night is our .org is our website, which we teach on a lot of these kind of themes on the need to seek the Lord. So if you want to uh, be part of a, a national fast or get resources on revival and these matters, go to seeyoudayandnight.org. Great, great. And thanks for being with us, Matt. And uh, you'll be with us again on the next one as we cover the next three areas of judgment that are more corporate versus the individual forms that we covered today. And thank you for joining us today on Insights. We look forward to being with you next time.